0: Hello and welcome to session 19 of the Massage Matters podcast with us the Massage Collective. While I say us, we actually recorded this live at Therapy Live 2021 and actually you get all of us and only some of us at different times throughout this podcast. So this was a session where we were looking to involve Paul Coker and discuss specificity of different manual therapy techniques and unfortunately there were a few technical issues in getting Paul and in fact Anna Maria to come and join us. So to begin with it's myself Matt Scarsbrook and Becky demott horton having a chat moderated by the ever wonderful Katie Napton And then when Anna and Paul managed to join, I nip off because I was actually due on another stream. Remember to follow us on all the socials on Facebook and Instagram at The Massage Collective. And you can always get in touch with us directly uh, by email massage at physio-matters.com. If you enjoy listening to us, we'd be massively grateful if you could leave us a review in particular on the Apple podcast platform as it really helps us get our message to more, more therapists. And obviously for yourselves, if you make sure you've subscribed to our channel so you never miss any of our upcoming podcasts, having recorded a couple of episodes in advance for once we're usually chasing our tails to be honest. Uh, So it's been nice to actually have a little bit of planning time and be able to get some pre-recorded for you. I can tell you there are some stonking guests coming up who we cannot wait to have some conversations with and get your feedback. So plug in, sit back, go for a walk, whatever it is you do while you're listening to our podcasts and enjoy this live recorded session.
1: I think we're live welcome to the Massage Matters live Um, and at the moment we have Becky and Matt joining us and they're part of the Massage Massage I can't even say it. Sorry. Collective. We're hoping that we might have some more speakers joining us at some point, but bear with us. So basically, they are clinicians, soft tissue therapists and educators. Um, They are passionate about helping therapists translate evidence based learning into practice. Um, And we're hoping that Paul Cook might be joining us and we're still waiting on Anna. Now this session is actually sponsored by the school and the school provides specialist manual therapy courses and qualifications for MSK therapists who want to integrate contemporary manual skills into rehab-based practice. So as a PhysioMatters and Therapy Live partner, they're passionate about raising standards in MSK therapy by busting long-held myths surrounding manual therapy without getting rid of therapeutic touch so all sounds very exciting and I'm sort of staying in on the conversation so welcome Becky and Matt um nice to see you both here um and over to you Becky
2: thank you Katie thank you so much thank you everyone for joining us I know everyone's had um, some fun this morning getting in so I'm glad you made it here um unfortunately two of the people that should be with us today um Aunt, and one person who shouldn't be is um but <laughs> so this should be a conversation between myself Anna Maria and Paul Coker. Paul Coker and Anna Maria are still desperately um busying themselves in the background trying to get in so hopefully they will be joining us at some point but um Matt has is my knight in shining armor um and has, has jumped in while they're while they're trying to get in. So we're going to talk about today um massage matters, but does specificity. So manual therapy matters, but does it matter if we're specific with our techniques or not? And we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, if you've come across us before, that actually this um, modality empire that that sort of populates the manual therapy world has done us no favours whatsoever and has actually detracted from the good that Therapeutic touch can do, and how it can be applied in a, a sensible, evidence-based, reasoned way with our our, clini- with our patients and clients. Um, and and Katie's really kindly, as as we're waiting for people, agreed to um, chip in with her thoughts as well, which is going to be really interesting. So I'm going to hand over to Matt to start with, um, and it, it's. As I say, it's a real shame that Paul can't get in at the moment. Hopefully he will. Paul's a physiotherapist from down here in Cornwall. Woohoo, go Cornish. Um, and um, he talks a lot about the um, neural impact or the neural input from uh, touch and from using adjuncts and how he um, incorporates that into his treatment to help clients get moving again effectively. Um, so Matt is obviously our... Um, neuro expert in the Massage Collective so Matt's gonna just kick off by giving us a brief kind of summary about how that effect works and how it's relevant to us as manual therapists
0: yeah so um yeah thanks thanks <laughs> thanks for having me at the last minute to uh, <laughs> to a podcast I normally sit in thanks Becky <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no this is um uh, this is great so uh, as you say, Paul, Paul, when he speaks, he's he 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 talks brilliantly about the neurological side and it's and the neurological side is definitely something that has sparked my interest. And it's, it's, it's why I'm doing my master's in neuroscience at the moment is to to better understand uh, what it is that we're doing when we lay hands on someone and. Um, So we talk about, whenever we do any of our courses when we introduce our courses, we always talk about it's all to do with the nerves. Yeah, we've tried to sort of move away from that we're changing tissues, that we're increasing blood flow to any sort of significant level. And instead, we talk about the nervous system. And for me, there have been... um, that there are some sort of obvious ways to go. We know that we have specialized nerve endings that respond to things like temperature, to pressure, to vibration, to stretch. Um, And then obviously we've got our nociceptive um, free nerve endings as well. But one of the bits that I find personally particularly fascinating is a, um, a group of nerve endings associated with hairy skin. Um, We've known about these in um, animals, so cats, for example, for sort of 30, 40 years. But it was only in the late 90s, early 2000s that we really started to come across them in humans. And they're known as C-tactile diffuse fibers, which is a really long way of basically saying they're fairly slow conducting, fairly thin, unmyelinated fibers. But the important bit is that they appear to respond most vigorously to... Touch that is both at a particular speed, so it has to be a it has to be a touch that, that is moving from point A to point B. They don't really respond if you've just got a static point of pressure, and they also respond um, more vigorously depending on the temperature of that that interaction. And with the studies that have been done looking into these, they, they appear to react most vigorously um, at, a, at a movement between three and 10 centimetres per second um, and a temperature akin to body temperature, somewhere between 30 and 35 degrees C. Any much cooler or much warmer, you don't get as, as, as vigorous a, uh, a response. So, you know, we look at it, we, we, you kind of start asking questions. Well, have, are we then looking at a nerve cell that is essentially responding to human caressing touch. It, it seems to be a stroking type movement with a temperature that is skin to skin. So that, that's a really interesting area of research. And, and because we're just frankly freaking clever nowadays, we can actually stick, um, Uh, needles and and, and uh, conductive needles in and track individual nerve fibers. So we can see where those nerve fibers essentially enter the central nervous system and even where they synapse in the brain. And we know that these uh, particular nerve fibers uh, are synapsing in parts of the brain that are associated with, we can never be specific in the brain, there's lots of overlapping functions in the brain, but they are associated with areas such as um, emotion and pain processing. And so, again, we can extrapolate that perhaps what we have here is some nerve cells that respond to particular types of human-on-human touch or animal-to-animal touch that may modulate our experience of pain and the emotions associated with that. Okay. now, again, in the in the world of of research, this is still early days. You know, we've only been doing this 20 years, um, but it's it's a really interesting area, particularly as the world of neuroscience kind of opens up. So for me, there is the start of a potential narrative around why hands on, be it you hugging your mum or you're rubbing your little child's knee when they've fallen over or. You're providing or receiving a nice massage. Suddenly, there's a there's a bit more going on about why it is it feels good. You know, it, this this question that all bugs all of us is well, why does it work? We seem to think it works. Why does it work? So I think there's a little bit in there. Now, the bit that I find particularly interesting, particularly with um, you know with Paul and and uh, stuff, I'd like to ask him is okay. So so how do we translate that? To the use of tools, what you know, if if what what is it about a tool, a, a you know a, a metal implement, or as Adam Meekins likes to say, the back of a spoon, um, or a cup, or um, you know some of those thumb protector jobbies, um, what, whatever they are, why are we using tools? And a question I, I threw out to you, Becky, earlier this week when we were sort of uh, throwing this around ourselves was. Is it that we think tools are doing something specific and therefore we need this tool to be used in this way to achieve an outcome? Is it simply because different types of touch feel good to different people? You know, you don't have to have watched um, Fifty Shades of Grey to realize people like different things. Um, And, or, or is it that We've commercialized therapeutic touch. And in commercializing therapeutic touch, we've come across the need for products which reduce the stress and strain on the body of the therapist. Mm -hmm. Or, Or is it that we want another income stream by selling tools to other people? You know, as a massage therapist, strictly speaking, you can only make your money in the time that you're hands on with someone. But if you've invented a special tool that you can flog to a whole load of people, there's another income stream. Now, that's a really cynical perspective, but I still think it's potentially a relevant one.
2: I think it's definitely relevant, Matt. And actually, I'd extend that statement to what we do with our hands has become commercialized in some areas of the profession which is um unfortunate to see and I think that's why this is such a great question as to is there ever um a, a, a rationale behind choosing one technique one method of touching somebody over another if you like um to come onto tools I think I think you're right. I think there's there's been an element of commercialization. And unfortunately, again, I think it's been to the detriment of where they may or may not be useful because there's been this kind of, um, I guess, uh, overriding um, dislike of them because there's that commercial element. And is this just a gimmick? Is it a gimmick? And I mm-hmm. guess a lot of that comes from what's the narrative that's been given around using them and selling them and the people that do Run the courses and and um, the companies that produce these things. Are they telling us that it's going to lift tissues, it's going to decompress this, it's going to stretch fascia, or are they just saying, which I don't think I've ever heard, but um, you correct me if I'm wrong, that they're just a different way of applying touch, maybe a slightly more novel stimulus than than your hands, maybe something that for somebody just feels pleasant that just is is maybe they don't like that for whatever reason they don't like that sensation of you pushing on their tissues so actually that feeling of a cup lifting the tissues whether it is or not um it is a different novel sensation
0: well absolutely and And I think I think sorry just to jump jump in there I think that's probably one area that that, that, that Paul would definitely speak to, particularly on the cupping side of things. I know- um, uh, Here he oh, is. Here he is, the man himself. So we'll just give him a moment to um, to orient himself, uh, rather than just speak about him in, to, to his face. <laughs> Hello, Paul. Hello. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for managing to join us. Things have stabilized a little bit, I think. So um, as, a, as a brief recap then, Paul, obviously we've sort of introduced and we're, we're talking about um, uh, where tools perhaps fit and, and, and asking the question, do the tools have a specificity to them? Um, and uh, or cynically, from my perspective, I suppose, are they there to merely help the therapist um, reduce uh, effort required to provide a treatment? Uh, or are they there just to make a little bit of money for people who uh, produce fancy metal tools? So, that that's a bit of, a, of an overview of where we are at the moment. Paul, do you want to start perhaps by just introducing yourself so that uh, anyone who hasn't come across you before can kind of catch up with?
3: Yeah, sure. I'm just trying to sort my audio. I'm getting a horrible feedback on it. But
0: okay,
1: well, you sound fine, so that's good. Yeah, that's we fine.
3: can hear you I'll fine, yeah. And listen to everyone else echo. Um, so, yeah, sorry about um, technical difficulty on joining. Um, um, I'm Paul. I'm a physiotherapist. I'm um, uh, uh, pro-interventionalist really when it comes to therapy um, and um, regardless of the tool that we're talking about Matt whether that be a, 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 a blade, a cup, uh, your hands, they're, they're all tools that interfere with the person's nervous system and um, that's really where I get in on these things. Um, uh um i used to be involved in rock today i have no skin in any game of um, um, um production or um, profit made from education or, or or tools um at this stage um so that's that's me um and um in answer to that that, that question i think that you're asking Matt, but i was having a little bit of trouble hearing it and um, if you take something like a blade, it's it, there's a high degree of novelty of, to, to an input like that, which I think is where these things often have therapeutic value is that if it's the same old, same old that somebody has felt many times before, it is unlikely to elicit big change in the way that they move and they feel. Um, and I think blades are interesting and um, from a point of view of sensory input that they really help people to understand um, their relative sensitivities, their um, neurological hyper and hypo function in different areas of the skin. And for me, certainly when I look at hands-on and soft tissue techniques, I think that's the big blind spot is that we don't really see them for what they are, which is sensory inputs first, all of which are addressing the skin. No technique is um, tissue layer specific. Um, it always makes me giggle in like the taping world when people talk about a ligament taping and a muscle taping I mean, well i really hope you're sticking it to the skin
1: <laughs>
3: <sighs> and that basic principle applies to everything we do with our hands as well so if, even if you stick your elbow in somebody's backside and imagine their piriformis relaxing as you do so and um, the intervention is um sort of getting less uh, has it, having less effect as we go down through the layers so i think um more attention to the nervous system and, and probably more attention to those superficial layers, which are so neurologically rich. Um, and a good way to think about the, the distribution of sensory receptors in our tissue is that it simply gets less as you go down. And so, the excellent, just to add to the woes. Um, and so, by having um, uh, top layers addressed interventions like cupping and t- um, blades, then I think that's where it differently and is a useful and there's no threat to hands-on, because speaking within that within a massage community, I think that's often the way that people see tools is a potential threat to a replacement of their hard-acquired skill set, and I, I just think we need to look at it as an expansion of what you are able to offer that individual's nervous system and and how helpful that might be.
2: So. Paul, what I'm really interested in is, do you think there's, um, so we're talking today really about whether specificity matters, or are they all just, are these all just things we can play around with and, and try? So do you think there's ever a time when, because of the, the type of neural reaction, if that's the right way of describing it, there is an advantage to one thing over another, be that light, or deep pressure, or um, a blade over hands, or is it all just down to how does that feel for that person?
3: I think it's mainly down to how it feels for that person. But I think we can broadly split things between sort of neurological hypofunction and hyperfunction. So if somebody's really sore and really tender, then whatever implement we choose, we're going to be gentle with it and we're going to try and create a real desensitization. So that is the type of treatment where we're looking for the absence of nociception and pain in, in, in what we are doing. It's, it's hard to make something that's really sore feel better by hurting it more. <laughs> well, it is a point that is lost on some massage therapists that when things are very painful, they need to back the hell off. Yeah. And they need to be much less aggressive about what they're doing and think much more about sensation and about creating more calm and ease within the system. And then I think the flip side to that is where we're looking at hypo function, So dull patches and um, um, neurologically low function where treatments tend to be more um, intensive and felt. And um, uh, um, maybe that good kind of sore is what we're after in those kind of people but I think that's the split that I make really and um, Becky is more and 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 less about which tool I choose to pick up and more about the sort of level of vigor of which I'm about to use it
2: and with the same would that would you apply that with vibration as well that's because that's the one that kind of I guess stands out for me as to whether that is a distinct difference when that might be of use
3: yeah I think we're all reaching for that one a little bit as to I mean, vibration is, is, is really useful. Uh, I think um, when I look at the world using it, they're using it way too hard. And certainly that's true of the patient population who will buy a Theragun, put it on level three, turn it perpendicular and drill as hard as they can. Um, the most likely occurrence out of that is a bruise. Um, and that's not necessarily that useful. But bi- vibration is really, really interesting from a point of view of kind of changing sort of resting tone within muscles. Um, But I think it is one of those areas where the market has got well ahead of the research. Um, We know vibration is useful, but we don't really know much about the specific um, bandwidths and amplitudes that we should be using for certain types of problem. But all of these things really, for me, rest on a test and a retest. And I think that that's how we can start to um, uh, um, range find with our treatments more to actually see whether what we're doing is the right thing to be doing at that time. And and so really I, I have this thought that we need to get less patient about waiting for change. So if you've done a good thing to somebody's posterior chain, I expect them to get off the bed and feel less sore and able to move further through a toe touch or an active straight leg raise, because the neurological system is that fast to change. So I think by doing mini treatments of sort of sticking a vibration gun on somebody's sore quads and then um, doing that for a couple of minutes and then retesting something, we can really start to kind of um, use the patient's own feedback and their input to help us find what is the most useful thing to them because we can make these rules we can say that people who are really tender and jacked up need gentle treatments but you will always meet the ones that live in the Um, thin slice of the pie chart and break that rule and need the very opposite. And same goes for um, even when you're dealing with rough, tough endurance athletes, sometimes they will have real spots of super tender areas where very, very gentle and sort of sensory-led treatments can, can be useful.
4: This is really this. Oh, sorry, Becky. I just stopped. i oh, Go gone. I was
2: going to introduce you, Anna. I was um, going to say we've swapped. We've swapped Matt for Anna. So Matt, Matt kindly jumped in to help us out when when no one was here. Um, he's there. gone off to do what he's doing next. So um, Anna Maria has managed to get in and join us. So I'll I'll let Anna ask the next question. And apologies
4: for my probably you cannot hear me very well. Sorry. We can hear you fine, Anna. Just oh, fantastic! Yeah. Yes, I don't. Yeah. My, my mic is not working. Um. Paul, this is really interesting what you're saying, and uh, I, I like to pick up about that, um, your neurocentric approach or your neurocentric explanation, and um, which really, really interests me, because evidence is, is increasing on that. However, I'm thinking, is that relevant in terms of treatment? Does the specific... Uh, neurocentric uh, mechanisms, are are those specific neurocentric mechanisms? Are they a by the the non-specific, by the contextual mechanism that might be at play? Contextuals like uh, uh, environment, uh, psychosocial factors, therapeutic alliance, client's expectations, which we know they affect uh, uh, we know very much that they affect outcomes mm-hmm. so do yes so do you think that um, that then the nerve effects uh, the neural effects are, are weighed by the non non-specific effects wow.
3: yeah what did Louis Gifford say we misname the placebo effect the central mechanism <laughs> yes we should, we should we should lasso them and recruit them in every way that we possibly can. And in that real world environment of my clinic room and your clinic room and people watching this clinic room, it's impossible to wash out one thing from another. The recommendation that you're the guy they need to see to sort this problem, they're already half better before they walk through the door. We we, We all get that sort of side of it. But I think that if we take a neurocentric view to to soft tissue work, then there are some big alterations to everyday practice that, that I think should happen and I think people can make really easily. One of them is just to pay far more attention to sensation. That if you are treating areas that are painful and you have not taken a detailed examination of that person's sensitivity and their sensory mapping abilities over that area, you are missing one side of the neurological coin that makes movement, right? We need motor output, but in order to have good motor output, we need full sensory input on the other side. And I see a lot of, um, right, so example, like mystery knees that won't get better after surgery. And um, we look around their scars and we find focal numb patches of skin and we treat and address those things using modalities, using tape, using blades. Um, using, um, I, I brought some props, um, so you, you want to know what <laughs> makes um, um, neurological...
4: Don't, don't you make
2: pasta difference. with that, Paul?
4: Yeah. I was going to say, looks like a so, ravioli. Again,
2: the
3: thing is, it's apparently to make them uh, adolescence men's beards grow, which <laughs> I done many years ago, because I'm going grey and I still can't grow a sideburn. But, um, like, <laughs> uh, biology is wonderful, isn't it? Um, this thing's amazing in, in, a, in a treatment role. It's a needle roller, black roll make it. I have no association with them whatsoever, but it is one of the most incredible tools that I've found for mapping people's sensation. And what you're able to do with this is really okay. convince them that they have a sensory change yes. and then engage them in sensory rehabilitation as, as part yes. of what they're doing. And I think this is a huge part of recurrent issues. So people whose upper traps just tighten up three days after every treatment that they've ever had. There's more to that problem than just a lump in the muscle that needs rubbing out, otherwise they wouldn't be returning to treatment so frequently for the same issue. So we need to look more at what's driving that tension in the muscle that we're also good at feeling and working out of people. But if we'd like to give them lasting effects, then really it's about making their nervous system feel completely safe in that area. And so the implications for neurological for treatment to me aren't so much about kind of um, those different types of effects saying, oh, this is a this is a neural patient. So I'm doing neural mobilization like everybody stuck in pain has bad neurology. It's the only thing that links them all together. And um, the, the sensory loss or the lack of strength and activation and, 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 and neurological function in a muscle, I see it as a form of threat to the brain. And this kind of model of threat really has arisen from the work of everyone from Louis Gifford through D- M Butler and Mosley. And, and then if you look at those kind of interventionist and neurological places like the Carrick Institute and the Z Health University then really the way they get us to to sort of frame pain is in the idea that it is the cumulative threat that the central nervous system is experiencing. And so when we are clearing threat, that's everything. That's sensory as well as motor. It is movement as well as passive treatments. And Adrian Lowe is another great writer on this subject. He wrote a book called um, Manual Therapy and Pain Science. I think that's what it's called. And it's brilliant. It's a real clinician's handbook. And one of the great things he says is just talk more. Like, don't ask them where Mm -hmm. they're going on the holidays. Explain what their anatomy is like in that area. And um, those Reassuring interventions that we make with our mouth while we treat them with our hands are every bit as important, I think. And we all do it, but sometimes we do it in ways that actually kind of adds to people's fragility. We fail to question those previous dodgy diagnoses about the way that their pelvis slips out of place and they need somebody to put it back in again, and what a crack of their um, joint. um, represents. So I think that the talking therapy that we do while we're delivering manual therapy is probably the biggest rock that people need to move in terms of neurology. And then the other big one for me is really start to, to, to think about and to treat sensation because you can't have full movement and motor function without full sensation. It's in the first chapter of new neuroscience book. And I spent the first 15 years at least of my career, completely ignoring that basic idea. Tape was one of the things that really got me into the idea of sensation in the first place. Um, and um, it made me question so much of what I've been taught around the kind of biomechanical model of a physiotherapist where we kind of just go straight past the superficial layers, get to the muscles and the joints. And that's really where the money makers are. But I think the truth of it is, is that every treatment treats every structure, whether you manipulate yeah, a joint, sport. whether you rub a muscle. Yeah. And so like within that massage world, we have this idea that the joints aren't our business. The nerves aren't our business. We are just for tissue and, and for muscles. and. Really, we're splitting infinitives. The body draws a continuum and we put lines in that and say, this is mine and that's yours. And I think um, wherever you start, you need to be prepared to address, at least in some way. Obviously, there are insurance issues around things like cavitation of joints and deliberately manipulating. But I think learning to gently wiggle and help people to feel movement is, is, is a big part of that neurological model. And then, of course, movement, Anna, like the Um, If you are treating and your main um, 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 modality is soft tissue therapy, that's great. But if you're not advising people on how to keep the extra movement that you've given them through active movement immediately after treatment and then as homework, as part of the interventions that you're making, then again, we're missing a huge neurological um, um, opportunity to give them a a chance to relearn and to remap parts of their body.
4: Uh, that's why I asked the question, Paul, because I I could not nod any stronger to everything you were saying. However, I I am a little bit concerned that by trying to give uh, a specificity of mechanisms, we are still discussing about a bottom-up approach instead of a top-down approach. Should we actually liberate ourselves from that bottom-up approach explanation and just embrace that we actually do not know we actually is a multi uh, factorial um factorial multifactorial elements why treatment why treatment works because no treatments as you correctly say no treatments is done in a vacuum yeah no. so i uh, but why, why, why I am labouring maybe this point a little bit more is because when I go and explain to a client, if again I'm explaining it into a neurocentric uh, um, manners, is still is uh, still uh, I think not put enough stress to the fact that it's not only a one way system.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of kind of communicating these ideas, that sort of the basic threat bucket that Greg Lehman, um, um, uh, well, for me, originally described, I'm sure he nicked it from someone else, as as these things always are and expanded upon. But patients really get that model, that that, that, that stress and tiredness are important, and that we just start to throw these other bits in. And, 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 you know, I come at it from this very relatively um, um, sort of neurologically focused end of it, because... Well, that's the stuff that we can do things about. And um, yeah, the other things matter, of course, their social context, their their ability to engage in occupation and leisure activities with loved ones. And, and you know, all those those bio social things still do matter. But then so do peripheral drivers, right? Like I had a, 100%. a, a patient in the other day and she's waited a year for a knee replacement and like she's like literally within three days, her leg is better than it's been for a year. What happened to sensitization in those cases? Like every joint replacement that goes really well in the early days proves that sometimes peripheral drivers still really matter. So kind of splitting these things is hard and it comes back to that idea, if you're not testing and then retesting afterwards, you are just shooting in the dark and you're making stuff up in your head and then you're hoping that that's right. Because for some people with a knee pain, they need to wiggle their elbow. Other people really need to sort their vestibular system out on that side of the body, otherwise they're gonna to continue to beat up their tissue. And so like it's this sort of we need to reclaim the word holistic, right? Like an action yeah, God, to you yeah. View... yeah, like it annoys me so much because it's such a great word and it's just been it's been captured and abandoned to, to, to voodoo and woo-woo. and um, and you know, like it is I have a very open mind about what might be helping to drive people to be sore and i have um, high ambition that as therapists we can learn to address multiple different systems so like why how does a neurological um, intervention make it different well for an awful lot of people that i deal with we will look at some things that make it different right we'll look at top end movement so the best assessment you have is somebody walking across the room it's our most common movement pattern if it's off and labored, then that person's body going to get pain. And so changing high level neurological function like single leg balance and, um, uh, and um, um, efficiency of gait or, or running mechanisms, like these are all things that are perfectly possible just with a bit of good soft tissue release in the, in, in the right place. But again, if we don't test, we don't know. So like the, 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 the when is it important to do what thing really comes back to this idea of identifying two or three markers the, towards the beginning of sessions and then continually retesting those things, even to the point of slightly irritating your clients because it's completely worth it when they get that big wow moment, when you do the one that changes everything that they were complaining about. So like neck pain down into the shoulders, a really great example. They sit in front of you and they could have the exact same examination of slight pain on abduction, some problems with ipsilateral movements of the neck on the same side. But until you start treating, I don't know whether they need a um, neural mobilization that's kind of led out from the arm or whether they need a lateral glide of the head or whether they need a muscular release on that side of their neck. Because the, the, the basic concept that everybody who presents with the same problem has the same thing wrong with them is 20 years out of date. That's what the neuroscience tells us is we're all unique little snowflakes based on past experience and current threat levels. And so the, 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 the splits and the which ones are neurological and which ones are orthopedic and which ones kind of we can model more around a kind of muscular imbalance just has to be down to the individual we can kind of have these big lines but I think individualized medicine is a dirty word in therapy yet it is the hottest thing in all other forms of medicine speak to oncologists and stuff having this big revelation about how they can't do the same thing to everyone doses need to be tuned different people respond to different things and I think that's the art of therapy that that everybody kind of knows, but we, we we wrestle with a little bit. And I think a lot of us are just myopic to the body. We're stuck in the body. If it's not a body problem, we ain't got many ideas. Um, tape was one of the first revolutions in my practice. You know, over a decade ago, I stuck some tape on my dodgy meniscus and it felt loads better. And it really annoyed me because it shouldn't have based on what I knew. And then um, nearly three years ago now, I met Dr. Cobb, who um, runs Z Health University, and he made me go like this. Right. You can't really see. Hang on. Let me line it up. Right. So I look at my thumb and I flick my head in a nice, fast way that stimulates semicircular canals. And the vestibular system is huge. It is massive in our brain and it is continually informing the the, 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 uh, neurological function of movement. And yet most therapists completely ignore it. And now I don't and I assess it fairly routinely, certainly on everyone who doesn't seem to have a strong peripheral driver for their problem. And very few people can pass the tests. Very few people you can't pick up asymmetries and dysfunctions. Now, once you've got information like that, we have to be careful with it, right? Because now they can walk out and think, oh, my God, I've got a buggered brain as well as a knackered back. And it's, it's it's like people going through bad pain science. Turns out my back's not the problem, right? It's in my head. And you think, no, that's not the message that we wanted you to get. So we have to be really careful as we start to kind of widen our scope and assess more potential areas of threat that we offer people solutions to everything that we find. Um, uh, um, um, but that kind of looking and starting to see that threats the real driver of pain and if we are in the business of changing pain and movement we need to stop obsessing over the hardware of the machine and we need to really start to pay more attention to the supercomputer that runs the thing
1: and I think that's
3: where a lot of therapy falls short.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a, a really excellent point there, Paul. And I think we'll, we'll, um, and you, yeah, you've raised quite a few points that are really interesting and, and ones to take away, consider, and perhaps we'll think of some other bits to bring in now. And I was just um, wondering, with the recent lockdown, how that affected your thoughts of manual therapy and how that changed your approach and uh, a redressing. And if we start with Becky, could you tell me, you know, what what effect that had on you and your processing?
2: I think, ironically, not being able to touch people has made me a better manual therapist because it's made me think more. It's made me be more imaginative in terms of, um, you know, I haven't I can't just go straight into getting hands on with somebody or, or, you know, maybe defaulting to those things that i feel comfortable doing um so i've had to be a little bit more imaginative in okay i can only talk to this person over zoom how can i achieve what i'd like to achieve with them doing things um and then i think it's made me now i'm back in practice it's made me a bit better in my um critical clinical thinking in terms of actually do i need to be touching this person do i is that the first approach I should be taking or is there something else I can play around with first so I guess talking to Paul's point of that kind of testing retesting is this actually working are we getting any change from this do we need to think a bit more about it so I think for me it's it's made me value it definitely hugely as I'm sure it has us all um and and that's been a, a you know it's it's been a lovely time actually to be a manual therapist because it's you've been in such a privileged position of touch. Um, so it's made me value it, but it's also made me more critical about how
1: I apply it.
4: Interesting. And Anna-Maria? I, I, I can only agree strongly with Becky because to me, he raised uh, or he validated even further and I'm going to use the same word again, those non-specific effects that... I do not need to be touching my client in fact the online sessions allowed me the one-to-one uh, focus interaction with my client without the expectation from them to have to jump onto the couch so I remove the barrier, which sometimes is the couch in front of me, and I, I love my manual therapy. I use it extensively, and I use my massage. But sometimes the expectation of it gets in the way of other approaches, of gets in the way of the interaction itself, and that's uh, and that's why, to me, as validated, it's actually it's been good for my client to see that, to realize, oh, actually those pain modification strategies or I feel better not just because Anna touched me and not because Anna did a particular type of massage or manual technique so that for me that for me was very, for me and for my clients it was very important good and Paul I hated it <laughs> oh
1: well you're honest
3: <laughs> yeah yeah it Hates reaffirmed it um for me like i'm not a good clinician through <laughs> uh, right
4: okay
3: I'm not, uh, yeah i need to finish that sentence. not i'm not yeah. a <laughs> um that's what i realized in lockdown i obviously this no um i found it was very um hit and miss in terms of um sort of success and it does make you value those hands off treatments way more you know when you're forced to just make somebody do their own median nerve glide or whatever it is but I think um, forming that therapeutic alliance was harder for me. Um, I use touch in everything from guiding movement and exercise. You know, manual therapy is a is a powerful reassurance just in the assessment yeah. process, even. Um, and so, very mixed mixed bag with that really but I, I I won't be carrying on virtually now that we're back open and as a physio we've been we've been lucky it's interesting my wife's a physio as well in the NHS and she's pediatric so it deals with babies and then um, you know some of those things are really good to do through a zoom lens Um, if it's advising a mother on some positioning and stuff like that and, and maybe even around things like breastfeeding then kind of that barrier really really helps and um, yeah it, it's um a, a very different form of interaction intervention. intervention, but I was very glad to get back into the clinic, get face to face, Uh, definitely the same as Becky. Coming out of it a little less quick on the draw with certain hands-on things as the first intervention and I think that's something that as um, manual therapists and hands-on therapists we all have to wrestle with over time as we develop is actually the order of which we do and try things. Because if you can make somebody feel better and modulate their own pain, then that is a sort of superior outcome to if you have yeah. to do it using a, a, a kind of a, a hands-on passive technique. So um, a, a definite reflection towards that end, coming back into it. But my, my, my overall feeling was I like human beings face to face.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's a fair, fair comment. And there's definitely people who awesome. take it to it more easily. And I run an online physio clinic, so obviously I'm quite biased there. Um, but I also do manual therapy, so it's a bit mixed. Um, yeah.
3: I, <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. just about the right people doing the right thing.
4: Absolutely. Things, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, um, yeah. I will never be a, a only online person. I, but yeah. online now is here and is here to stay for us in certain situations. I, I, I think, think
3: in the industry it's here to stay. And I think where it will be so useful is in highly specialist things. Hmm. So whether that's somebody who's really, really good at dealing with like Bell's palsy or vertigo and dizziness, those specialists that you find to, hard to find within your own town, I think our, our eyes have definitely been opened up to the potential. Yeah. And also, also
1: secretary. quite a few MSKs. Yes. I disagree slightly, but just for the assurance. <laughs> so just but just there, the that's, there is a question that perhaps oh, we need to ask. Sorry. So Mera's been waiting patiently. She said, "Oh, getting away from no pain, no gain is important to get across." Um, and I think it, she just wanted to highlight that—that that, you know—to get that across to patients as well, because there's the ones that come away, isn't it? It didn't hurt enough.
4: <laughs> which is always and, a worry.
2: If I can just jump on that, Katie, I think that's that's a massive part about getting the narrative right about why we're using a hands-on technique. And I I I genuinely believe that whole pain no pain no gain thing comes from the belief that we can change tissue with our touch. And when people start to understand that actually we we're not doing that, we we're, we're um, giving this input into the nervous system. We change how we view why we're touching and why what we want from that sensation.
1: Okay. So, I mean, to sum up, because we're coming towards the end, I think it is that importance of the neurology, isn't it? Which we all seem to be agreed on. And it's that holistic care and it still question on the specificity and the necessary specificity i can't even say it at the end gosh it's been a long morning hasn't it but i think it's that's been a really good conversation and the um adrian lowe book's been put in the chats so if people wanted that as a reference um an excellent read anyway so thank you all for your time that's been you, fascinating all. and
4: um yeah thank hope you for more conversations thank you everybody to come in and have a great day
3: all. thanks all